Welcome to Therapist Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters. Hey, I'm Ann Kelly. And I'm Sue Marriott. We are super jazzed. We just came back along with our co-host, Patty Awell, from a conference called The Podcast Movement, and we had a blast, didn't we? It was the first podcasting conference we've gone to. And because, you know, normally we go to therapy things like therapist conferences around the country and stuff like that, which are always fun and interesting and super stimulating. But I have to tell you guys, <laughs> podcasters really know how to throw a conference and throw a party. Let's just that is so true about it all <laughs> it was just very very different to be around all those people who are unleashed s- totally they, unleashed unleashed <laughs> with the uns- they just they were passionate about the most obscure things yeah that was the most inspiring thing right is oh, that so like weird. all these people that are doing it for it's a labor of love just like ours know, right we're not it's you know it's our passion that we want to get the science out you know and that's you know, our weird thing, but other people have other really weird things. And it was so fun to be with all of these folks that were so passionate about their weird thing that they created a podcast around it. And so it's so stupid. And you know, what? It's, it reminds me is one thing I think you and I, I think we have one of the best jobs ever, to be honest with you. I love being a therapist. Absolutely. Absolutely. And part of what I love is that you meet and get to interact deeply with some of the most interesting people you get to have in incredible movement with them in this really, really exciting way. But guess what? You don't talk about it. Yeah, that is so true. Like, you yeah. can have the best day or the worst day ever. And we don't and can't talk about it and talk about your day. Yeah. And you feel all this passion and all this, oh my gosh, and that's it. And so what was so different and so fun is that we, as you can tell, are incredibly excited about the topic that we are talking about here and the whole podcasting process we're into. And we got to go there and be excited with this huge group of people. And we who, got to talk about it. <laughs> we got to talk about it. And we got to say what we're doing. We got, and I got to say, I'm a podcaster. And then there was more to talk about. Other than, what do you do? I'm a psychologist. Dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And it was super inspiring. So we have, it. it's going to be really fun because we've got a whole bunch of things that we're working on behind the scenes that we can't wait to roll out for everybody. So we'll be doing that soon. Well, and you know, speaking of being a therapist and having experience with our clients, today's episode is going to follow up on a previous episode where we are going more deeply to talk about the therapeutic relationship itself. That's right. And you know, in episode 39, and I typically don't listen to our recordings after we record them because I have the cringe factor. She can't stand to hear her voice. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And uh, I'm constantly wanting to change everything that I say or that we all say, but so I just don't listen. But I did happen to hear episode 39 or part of it. And I actually really liked it. So if you haven't yet checked it out, I approve of you listening to that particular episode. (laughs) (laughs) I actually encourage it because it's the first half of this. And we in that particular episode, we were focusing more on the care and love and incredible change and depth growth that can happen in a good therapeutic relationship. But today we're going to pick it up and talk about the other side of the coin. The dark side of therapy. <sighs> boom, boom, boom. Which unfortunately is way more frequent than it should be. And it definitely does happen. We're going to hit a couple of things real fast and then really get into why that 
we have to even do a podcast on it. One would think that that would be a clear thing if something's going bad, that it would be easy, but it's actually quite the opposite. But before we do that, let's just touch base really quickly on first, easily, there's just therapies that have been discredited, just types of therapies that have been discredited. So we're going to roll through those really fast. So just an example of that, what comes to your mind? Well, when we stop to think about conversion therapy, for instance, that is the number one can I say evil? <laughs> <laughs> therapy to stay away from. It is. And by conversion therapy, what we're talking about is a coercive therapy that is intending to change someone's sexual orientation. Obviously, not to be gay, but to ungayify someone who is identifying as or believes that they may be anywhere on the beautiful LBGTQI spectrum. And that is the opposite of what their good therapy is supposed to actually help one identify who they are and what expression is their natural self and really bring that out and help someone ground. And so you're going to hear that theme in this. So number one, bad therapy, conversion therapy. There's a couple of others that have actually been discredited. Uh, the repressed memory therapy, that was very, very common and popular a ways back and has really been shown to not only be not a helpful therapy, but can lead to some really unhealthy traumatic outcomes. That's right. As well as ones that actually are critical incident stress debriefing, CISD has, you know, people were implementing it across the board for a while. And now we know better. There are certain circumstances it's good and there are certain circumstances it's bad, but you don't just apply it to everybody that's been traumatized. And there's others, things like some of the really severe wilderness trainings, you know, with the idea being that you break uh, adolescent down and then build them back up. And some of those have been shown to be very, very harmful. Uh, so it's just something to watch out for. But that's not, and then there's another subset. So those are, no matter who the therapist is, if they're implementing those kinds of therapies, it's just something to look out for. And the next real quick one that we're going to hit is that sometimes it is the therapist themselves. And just like there are bad physicians and bad police officers and what, bad everything, teachers. Right. There are therapists that have gone astray and that they are actually using their role in a exploitive. exploitive way. And one of the ways to watch for that is to make sure who you're seeing is licensed and accredited and well-established out there. That's a, that's a really important thing. That's exactly right. So there are predators, basically, in any field, and there certainly are in ours, and people have been injured by people who intentionally abuse the power differential. But what we're interested today in really unfolding and talking about is something, not these kind of more clear things, but it's when you begin a therapeutic relationship and things are going well, but things take a turn at some point and it gets confusing. It's like, what is, particularly when you have relational injuries in your life, what is good therapy that is hard? And so things are coming up in the therapy about the therapy relationship that is difficult, but actually good for you. And then what's the difference between that and when it's actually harmful and it is an actual dysfunctional relationship that's causing harm? And weirdly, it's actually quite hard to tell the difference. Because it's not always completely clear cut. And it and it's not a straightforward answer. And so I think that's why this podcast is why we're really wanting to go in depth and help listeners really think about it from a deep level. Like, like you mentioned, sometimes therapy doesn't feel good. 
And it doesn't feel good for all the right reasons, because if the therapeutic relationship is done well, you're going to end up engaging in that relationship in a similar way that you've engaged in other primary relationships in your life. And that's one of the advantages because it allows you to process it, go deeper, explore it, work through it. And sometimes that doesn't always feel good. Again, if we've had relational injuries in our life, as we feel safer, we kind of come unglued. (laughs) And so things can feel really bad and confusing for a period of time. And that doesn't necessarily mean you, I mean, that's not necessarily at all. It's a dysfunctional relationship. Healthy therapy. That's exactly right. And so again, the health in that is that you feel safe enough to begin to undo some lifelong defenses and to be vulnerable and to try new things. And one of the ways to recognize that's what's happening is when you can recognize that you feel safe with the therapist and that even if it's hard and painful and challenging, that you feel like you have a baseline there that helps you go deeper and explore those feelings and stays in tune with you if it's going too fast. Because sometimes what can happen is there we can go too fast and you're not prepared for it. And so a theme you're going to hear throughout this episode is that we want to help you listen to your gut. And that doesn't mean you always act on your gut. Sometimes you listen to your gut and you put it into words and you talk about what's happening in your fears or your desire to withdraw. But do we really want to help listeners listen to their gut? That's right. And, you know, we were mentioning therapies that have been discredited before, and now we're beginning to unfold this. You know, when you get in the middle of these deep enactments and connections with your therapist, and so one of those therapies actually that is can be questionable is our trauma therapies that, like you say, they go right for the gut and like right for the most painful memory or, you know, create ab reactions in the therapy. These days, kind of the standard of care is more that if there's attachment injuries and trauma, that you go for the attachment first. Which means what you're saying, Sue, is that you go for the connection between the therapist and the client and talk about the kind of relationships about attachment that that client's had and you get, is that what you're meaning? That's exactly what I'm meaning, that even sometimes we're not talking about it directly, but Mm -hmm. we're having a new experience where that the person can unfold and be more and more themselves and be understood and be recognized for who they are. That in and of itself is therapy, right? That, mm-hmm. And it can be reparative and healing. And that is working on the trauma because beginning to know what you think and know what you feel and have that affirmed, that is already working on trauma. That makes so much sense. And it's really important, whether you're a client or a therapist out there listening, that... Or both. Or both. Thank you. (laughs) um, That when trauma exists, it really is important to be able to work through it in the therapeutic relationship. But sometimes it needs to go at a pace at a time where the client has enough support to go stair-stepping into it. And so if, for instance, you're a client and you have trauma and you realize that you're getting panicked, you're starting to have intrusive thoughts out there and et cetera, and the pace of therapy is too fast and too intense and you don't feel like you have a floor under you, that's probably a sign that you need to back up, talk to your therapist, or maybe that it's not the right match. So one of the dangers in working with trauma is if we go too quickly and go right for the big 
injuries or the big traumas. And we don't yet have, like you said, the foundation or the floor of the relationship to stand on. So that's one small example. I think where this really, really gets confusing is it's not like most these situations where a client kind of gets trapped in, you know, being a narcissistic extension of a therapist uh, or being held hostage by the therapist. I mean, talking about the dark stuff, right? You know, there are injuries that can happen in the therapeutic relationship that can cause lifelong damage, suicides of clients, like these things. We are in this very, very privileged position and we are changed by the relation. Whoever we choose as our therapist, we're literally changed by them. Hopefully what we've been focusing on most is the healing and growth that can come, but there really is this dark side that can happen. I think when you're talking about the narcissistic extension, let's be more specific about that. What we're talking about is that therapists as humans have their own need, especially most of us go into this field to be helpful. And so we have and to this, fix and to fix and all to of fi- our families <laughs> or whoever. <laughs> to fix ourselves by fixing everybody else. That's right. And so in our desire to be helpful and our desire to be there, that is where it can be an element of our narcissistic extension to be helpful. And what can happen in a therapeutic relationship, that there's a power differential and the client sometimes can find themselves in a need to satisfy or find approval from the therapist. And that's what you're meaning when you're saying the narcissistic extension. Uh, Yes, that is one of the things that I'm meaning for sure, that it's so easy to do a role reversal. So again, if we've had role reversals in our lives where we were the caretakers of other people, you know, we're going to sniff out a therapist's need from 12 paces away. It'll be easy. <laughs> like the therapist need to be helpful. And you're exactly. like, yes, this is so helpful when you're not really feeling it, but you're feeling this need to let the therapist know how helpful they're being. That's exactly right. And if the therapist is savvy, they're not going to necessarily let you do that. Right. If they are either not savvy or caught. And again, I really like, you know, the humanity of good therapists that get caught in situations that end up to be really hurtful, you know, with the exception of, you know, these perpetrators or stuff, it really is not hard. You know, clients are encouraged to be vulnerable, to express themselves, to talk, all those things. Therapists have to, as you said earlier, we, we have to be tight-lipped. We're supposed to be tight-lipped. But where we can get ourselves in trouble is that if we're beginning to have really strong feelings towards a client or in response to a client's strong feelings, then you know, we've got to have a safe place to be able to go and be very honest and vulnerable about what's happening in order to protect the client. And frequently, unfortunately, that doesn't happen in the right order. That makes a lot of sense. So maybe an example could be that I want to leave therapy. I'm a client and I want to leave therapy. And I'm either not finding it helpful or maybe I have, but I'm just kind of done or, and then you as my therapist could be caught in the injury of me wanting to quit. What does that mean about you? Does it mean you're a bad therapist? Does it mean, and so instead of dealing with your own feelings about that, it would be very easy and sometimes susceptible to questioning the client in a way that makes them feel like something's wrong with them or feeling shameful about the desire to quit. That's exactly, you know, I would even go further than narcissistic extension and say that therapists are in a position where we can hold someone hostage mm-hmm. narcissistically. And that exa- I think leaving is a great example, Anne. 
that there, there are a lot of times that we see that a client might be fleeing therapy or needing to go, like leaving because that they don't want to deal with a particular issue. And so that is true that sometimes that happens. But if we're barring the door or making them, like you said, feel very guilty or ashamed for that, then that that's already for sure a huge problem. Because either, you know, I could, first of all, even if that's my interpretation, I think, oh, they, they don't really want to leave. They're just scared to deal with this issue, let's say. Mm-hmm. One, I could be wrong. And believe it or not, you know, therapists have unconscious, <laughs> you know, and it's not just the client that has an unconscious, it's the therapist, right? So we can always be wrong. That's right. right. I don't, I don't like to think about that, of course, because it is my unconscious and I can't really access it. <laughs> However, we're vulnerable to enactments and the same exact things that clients are vulnerable to. So one, we have to think we could be wrong. And then secondly, even if we're right, the whole goal, if somebody's going to wrap up therapy is to help them feel good about be clear about it and help them feel good about it so that when they leave that they've had a good experience in therapy. And sometimes that means knowing that they're leaving for the wrong reasons, but being very supportive of their decision to do that and their boundary to do that and affirming their right to do that. And what you're doing from that perspective is you're really laying the groundwork for them to be more empowered and maybe leave and feel too naked and realize that they haven't done something and be able to come back in either to you or to somebody else. So it's such a good point. And this is where you started with that this should seem obvious, but it's really, really not because some of this gets acted out and the therapist is unaware. Sometimes that what you're saying in our unconscious, we're unaware that we might feel like a failure when you're wanting to leave or we might feel insecure. And so that we can evoke this sense of, wait a minute, that, you know, look why you're wanting to leave. Look at you, look at you, look at you. And be unaware that we are, in fact, having some difficulty with that. And that can happen. And one of the ways to recognize if you're a client that your therapist could possibly is if you start feeling shame or guilt or somehow that you're letting your therapist down by leaving because you are not there to take care of your therapist and sometimes it's really hard to feel like you're supposed to because that's part of our natural social inclination and you've drawn a place where you really care about this therapist and so but you really feel like you've accomplished enough for example and you're really ready to take a break and you want to be able to talk about that and feel good about it or you're uncomfortable about what's going on in the therapy and you're trying to talk to them about it and they begin to use their power to have you question your own mind. Mm -hmm. So it's identified as resistance or it's identified as defensiveness or aggression or things that, not that aggression is a bad thing, but in other words, instead of the therapist taking the feedback and saying, you really feel unsafe with me, let's help you feel safer either to leave or to stay or to talk or whatever you need to feel safe about. But if I bounce it back and like, yeah, that's your stuff. And yeah, that's because of your mother or your sister or your brother. And if I'm not able to take in the feedback, it doesn't mean I have to believe it, but I have to be able to use it. If I can use it, now we're creating more safety. If I can't use it and I'm just I'm pretending like I'm a blank screen and this is all your stuff. Yeah, this is your stuff that you're leaving, right? That's right. You know that if you do this, that likely this is going to happen in your future. And somehow you all of a sudden feel like 
your whole life is going to drop off the edge if you leave, or you're going to lose the favor of the therapist. It needs to be, to be able to draw to a close is really, really important. And then that therapeutic relationship can last. You could come back to it. But if your therapist all of a sudden is inserting guilt or shame or really seeing it as your deficit, that doesn't mean that you, they might not help you see that's a vulnerability. Things have gotten hard and it's natural that you may want to pull out. Let's talk about it. And, but what we want is a relationship that's safe to talk about it and that you still feel comfortable saying, yeah, I can see that I have more, but I think I still want to wait and that you should feel welcome to do that. That's right. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you were talking about therapists being unaware of their own need to help and stuff like that. I just keep going a little darker on this. <laughs> I think that you, oh, well, one of the reasons is because I, I have actually, even while I was already licensed, I got myself in a situation that got very confusing even though I know all of these things. And you know, one part of my memory system knows all these things. But when you're deeply engaged in the therapy, it can be really, really hard to know who's doing what to whom. And the other thing I thought is therapists that have been treated that way themselves in their therapy mm-hmm. are really blind to then enacting it again with their clients. Mm-hmm. Because that was the model used. And you know, it's lifelong therapy, or it's or there's that interpretation that that it gets flipped in a way. And again, it's not necessarily that that's wrong, but it's more where's the relationality and the interpersonal part where that we're both affecting each other. Right. So what you're seeing is not necessarily wrong, but what you want to look and hope for is that it's an interpretive dialogue and that you can feel that you're engaged in a dialogue where you still feel the freedom and to hold your sense of self and the relationship and still leave because being able to leave in a relationship really does reflect our ability to relieve other relationships in a way that feels healthy and mutual. That's right. And being able to leave also means that we can stay. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Now I can can wiggle my butt and settle right down here because we're good that uh, that door is wide open. (laughs) You know, actually, as we're talking about it, it's even the opposite way. We're talking about when the therapist is resistant to let you leave. But the opposite can be true, too, in that sometimes we can be difficult as clients and we're acting out difficult things. And that's healthy and normal. And so, but that doesn't make us always a pleasant individual. And sometimes we're getting really angry, et cetera. And if you feel all of a sudden ushered out the door by the therapist and invited, or let's say you're kind of resistant and say, well, fired by the therapist. Oh, that's true. A, a, A premature firing. And sometimes that happens when somebody expresses suicide feelings or thoughts. They might get diverted away too quickly out of the own fear where they deeply instead need a safe place to talk through things. Right. Or they begin to express discomfort with a therapist. And what the health there is that, you know, this is a two way, I'm impacting you, you're impacting me. And so even if you think I'm the worst therapist in the entire universe, (laughs) you know, my job is to continue to help you speak about it and understand it and kind of scaffold you into a more secure place. That's why we get paid for what we do, because that's a lot to make sense of. But we're the client's hippocampus, so we have to sort of make sense of the whole thing. And if we are helping them, scaffold them to a more secure place, which means that we're affirming their reality, that we're challenging them where they need to be challenged, but it's safe enough to be able to 
continue to unfold, then that's all good. But yeah, these situations where that there's these abrupt terminations uh, without processing, those can be, not always. Sometimes it's the best thing to do, but those are very, very, very rare. And the problem is when you get engaged with something that's difficult and you're the client and there's this power differential, the therapist can, you know, as they say, therapy up and suddenly become very professional and impossible to access. And that's one of the reasons we want to be really clear about like what is healthy therapy and what isn't is that it's the client that's in the super vulnerable position. You know, as you say that, that's a really good, as you say that, the therapy up, it reminds me also of how important we talk about the boundaries. And that is something that's very important to talk about anything related to the dark side of therapy. There is a reason why there is important boundaries that exist in a therapeutic relationship. And most of us know them. We There's no romantic relationship. There's no sexuality that develops. There's no bargaining there's a reason why we you can't have these, barter. <laughs> no barter. Um, there's a reason why we have that to make this very safe environment for our clients to be able to relax and to know that anything can come up, but the therapist is going to hold that safe place. And what can happen as humans can is if we feel too compassionate for a client and we start giving too much or not holding our boundaries, um, are what can happen is that the the client. So, so Ann Kelly, you're not necessarily known for your super on time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't so that, is that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> so, not looking for perfection. <laughs> but if I am working with somebody and that person particularly, I'm always willing to extend a session. You're, that's exactly right. And I'm extending a little bit longer and a little bit longer, and not charging for it. And if that boundary starts to get leaked and it's time, it's space, maybe I start walking you out to your car, or they're just the small boundaries. And, and even you could be doing it innocently as a therapist. But what happens is that power differential can be completely misread. And we also are humans. We can also open up and develop feelings for our clients. And as we become unaware of that, that doesn't happen overnight. That happens in a process. And as we become unaware of that and we allow the boundaries to slip a little bit and slip a little bit, the progression will lead to where we've crossed over the line. And that is can really be harmful to our clients in so many ways. And so to get back what you were saying about the boundarying up, one of the things that I've seen happen is as we recognize the boundaries gotten too loose, then a therapist may boundary it all up and become really clear out of anxiety and right. then the defensiveness. not the defense and not be able to process that with the client. And then the client is all of a sudden left with all these unsettled feelings. And that is a very painful dynamic. It's one reason why it's essential not to let the boundaries slip. But if you notice as a client that they're slipping, you start observing that. You observe that they want to schedule you for late night or maybe suggest that you have a cup of coffee or that to be aware that that boundary is not good for you, that boundary slippage is not good for you, and to talk about it. Even to, though it's going to feel probably really good yes. because you're special and this is a unique relationship, and that's where it gets super confusing. Mm -hmm. So I really like you being very specific about these are the signs where that we want to help you check. Right. Because if, who doesn't want to feel special in the therapist's office? And the truth is you usually you are special, and 
and so, but the, the reason those boundaries exist is to help you safely explore those feelings and know no matter what happens, that therapist is going to hold you tight in a way that you can trust and develop trust. That's right. And holding tight, as you're saying, sometimes means stopping on time, even when you are just getting into material, that that's a loving act or it's a healthy professional act to be able to maintain the therapy, collecting payment, those kinds of things. So maybe we should be, let's get a little bit more concrete to just have some, I think of, you know, like if you're skiing and there are these markers, like go here, don't go here. <laughs> like if there's, because it can be so confusing of who's doing what to whom, even in good therapy in really good, healthy therapy, that's moving you towards security in yourself and in your relationships, it can get super confusing. But notice my language is it's building you basically look for this you should be getting better <laughs> right Absolutely. you should be getting better you should feel starting to more steadily feel positive about yourself not more shameful and that doesn't mean you don't engage in feelings of shame like that is going to come up in many therapeutic relationships but if it's the relationship itself that keeps inciting shame in you that's what you need to be really tuning into that's exactly right. Again, so look for, do you have the capacity to give your therapist feedback and have them use it productively? Mm. Or do they flip it back around on you? Or Because again, it's a highly interpersonal event. There are different kinds of therapies and in some kinds of therapies, you're gonna get generally less back from your therapist. And then some, you'll get much more fluidity. Right, so helping, helping you explore it if you give your therapist feedback and they go, well, tell me what that means to you and they help you explore it. That's, right. That's not necessarily flipping it back to you no. because we want room for that. But if you experience defensiveness and blaming, then you know ha you have a warning sign that you're in a relationship that's going the bad, the, the wrong direction. That's right. I mean, we're taught and I believe that as we act and make interpretations and, you know, are moving through the therapy as the therapist, that we're looking for things to improve. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that you're not going to feel bad after a hard session, but overall the trajectory should be that things are, you know, coming together or that you can see where that they will, that you're having to unravel a little bit in order to grow your marriage, to grow your relationships, not to marry your therapist in the end. There may be periods of time that you feel like doing that, but we don't want the therapy to replace your primary connections in your life. Oh, that's such a good point. And I, speaking as a couples therapist, one of the things that I can see happens is when individuals go into individual therapy because they're having issues with their partner, it is sometimes such a risk that therapy ends up helping somebody question their partner so much that it can discredit the relationship rather than build it up. And I really, really want to encourage people to think about that, that you want a close connection to your therapist. You want to be understood and you want to be moved by them. But if they are the only one that can understand you and you are losing faith in everybody else around you, that may not be a good sign. Now, of course, if you are in an abusive relationship and you don't have health around you, it could be a great sign. But in general, if you find yourself losing faith because everyone else doesn't get you, but your therapist does, that's something to talk about with your therapist. And that may be a sign that it could lead to deterioration in your happiness of your marriage or your relationship rather than improving it. 
Right. And so what we want to look at, again, this beca- it gets so sometimes hard to distinguish, but mm-hmm. sometimes good therapy helps you shed bad relationships. Definitely. And so, yes, sometimes you do get more distant from the people that you're with, uh, with the help of the therapy. But if you, you know, in, you know, maybe you're getting out of bad narcissistic relationships or, you know, like you're saying abusive relationships, those are great things. But if you were in pretty solid relationships and then are being pulled into a closer relationship with a therapist who's not supporting you in continuing to grow your relationships and your differentiation with them, and having a different mind than them. You're not supposed to meld. You're, the therapist is supposed to help you build up your sense of who you are in whatever beautiful shape, size, color, weirdness, funky <laughs> that you emerge to be. It's like, that's like good parenting. And, uh, and so that's one of the things that you wanna look for is that differentiation is welcome in the therapy hour and that your relationships are supported. And even if they're, what could be easily judged as a bad relationship, you know, you're in that relationship for a reason. To be able to look at yourself and not just those around you. If you're being supported at only looking at how everyone else around you is mistreating you, that might not be the best sign. Yeah, because believe me, it's very easy as a therapist to think, those bastards, (laughs) you know, why are they treating you that way? (laughs) Well, you know, it's so funny you should say this, too, because I think one of the things that can happen for for most of us as therapists is you start listening and you you don't have the, the partner in the room and they're describing through their perspective this impossible situation and it can activate you and you're like ready to annihilate their partner. It's like, <laughs> are you kidding? Because you're getting activated. Yeah, and then later you meet them and they're this small mouse and you know, oh, they're, like, wonderful. You know they're super <laughs> sweet. And So, um, so the, the, the point of that is, is of course we're gonna get activated because we care about the client and we want to protect them, but it is easy then to get activated and too aligned and your your speaking about differentiation is so important to be able to sit and really let yourself get super mad at your your partner without your therapist trying to really activate you can't tolerate that you know that's just something to watch for so you know just as sort of a as we kind of wrap this up a little bit there's this notion of healthy dependency so as we're talking like on one hand i'm like differentiation differentiation you know as a good recovering dismissive avoidant (laughs) might say but then there's also the side of dependency and having a healthy dependency and so sometimes we depending again on our histories and how we're using the therapy we do go through a period of intense dependency so what's the difference dr ann kelly of healthy dependency on a therapy where that there's periods of time where that it you know you may be the only person in this person's life and that's a good thing because they haven't had anybody in in a real way so what does a healthy dependency like that look like versus something that is can turn oh that's such a great way to phrase it for me what comes to my mind and then i'll turn it on to you to answer the same question is safe vulnerability I think what distinguishes that is that I, that a client able to get vulnerable in that dependency and yet feel very safe that they won't be taken advantage of, that they can get angry at you and still feel safe and not pushed away if, if a client's getting angry and then feels rejected or a cold shoulder pushed away. That's not a safe way to do it. So I think it is safe vulnerability that I can open up and know that I can vary in this relationship and the the therapist is still strong enough to hold me in all my variations. 
I love that. I really like that formulation. It makes me think again, not to oversell this, but about the boundaries. Yeah. Because part of what the boundaries do, even though they can be frustrating, is that they create the safety that within those boundaries, we can do anything we want, you know, and clients fall in love, they hate, they misuse, sometimes they feel tiny, they feel giant and proud when they can't normally. That's the magic, but it has to have the intact boundaries. And I, exactly what you're saying is if you're feeling safer and safer, even in uh, feeling very young, but safer and safer and opening and growing, you've got all of our four thumbs up, <laughs> six, because if Patty was here, she'd be thumbs upping that too. <laughs> but yeah, that if the relationship itself is becoming that problematic, and you're not feeling like it's opening and healing and growing, then those are the ones where we're going to want to help you get right. consultation, talk to other people, you should be able to talk to other people about your therapy. That's a really important point. You're not under confidentiality. <laughs> yes. And so it, it's, it's a really good one of the suggestions in this is if you're feeling uncertain, talk to others in your life and saying, when I leave therapy, this is how I feel. And, you know, it may be a wonderful thing because your friend, your best friend may say, well, you know, to tell you the truth, that's exactly what you do with me. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to really, really help. But if you talk to several people and they go, oh my gosh, you're not like that with anybody, then you might recognize there's something uniquely happening in that setting that doesn't feel and it feels off. So what I said earlier is we're trying to help you tune in to your gut and to listen to your gut, not always act on your gut, but listen and bring it up and seek support and explore it. And that may then lead to action. And that action could be that that is not the right therapeutic match for you. That's right. And you don't have to go like that. If that's the case, the only thing I would say is I would really, really ask you to find another therapist. Definitely. To process what happened. Because again, this will help prevent if it's just serial firing of therapists. That's not mm -hmm. what we're talking about. That's something else. But if there's injury within a therapeutic relationship, then you're probably going to need help recovering from that. And there are a ton of really safe people out there that can come to understand whatever happened and really help you unfold it and do whatever's necessary. If there's actual boundary violations, you know, you can work that out with them, but, but they may help you know what to do with that. Know what to do and, and where that you can regain a sense of safety. Cause the mm -hmm. whole point of all of this, as you can hear in the whole podcast is creating more safety more often and depths of safety deeper so that you can continue to unfold and be yourself and be connected with other people. We're not trying to create a bunch of narcissists, <laughs> <laughs> um, but related people that have yourself and have close relationships. Really good point. All right. Well, I hope this episode has been helpful and we will likely continue to roll out different episodes about the therapeutic relationship and what happens in the therapy hour. Because it's so, so rich. It is. It is. We just barely touch a service and there's so much more to talk about. And in the meantime, again, know that we are actively working on those courses. I know a whole bunch of you are signed up for the waiting list for our free course coming out soon. And we are not ignoring that. We know it deeply and we're focusing on quality and just know that it's in process. And I think that you're going to be really happy once it comes out. All right. Thanks for listening. We would love to have you rate and review us and sign up at your most uh, frequently used email address or no, I'm sorry, podcast player. There you go. <laughs> Too many asks at, Too one many time. at one time. But also, you know, we really would like this partly came out of feedback from listeners. So let us know what you think, either on Facebook when we post it 
or email us back channel. We really, really are interested in your input and about this and about any other things that you'd like to hear from us about. All right. Thanks for listening. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly, Patty Olwell, and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.